This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, and I'm here today with my co-host and mom, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Hi, Mom. Hi, Heidi. It's great to talk to you. And uh, our guest today, I actually did a YouTube with her at the Compassionate Friends uh, National Conference in Arizona last year. So uh, I'm really happy to have her on the show. She's a great gal. So why don't you introduce her, Heidi? I will. And I just want to say I just watched the YouTube again, and I liked it, actually. I really liked it. I thought she gave some good tips for people out there that are grieving the loss of a child. And um, her name is Sherry O'Loughlin, and we are going to talk today about transformation after loss. So Sherry is a transformational life and business coach. She's a speaker and author of Life from the Ashes, which shares her story of the tragic loss of her son Connor and her unexpected path of hope and new meaning. She believes that discovering what's on the other side of loss and tragedy can help us to lead more powerful lives filled with meaning and joy. Welcome to the show, Sherry. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's great to have you on. Um, Talk a little bit about Connor. I know you live out in uh, New Mexico, right? Correct. Yep, Albuquerque. Uh And uh, you were telling me when I interviewed you about your son going on a little trip. He was, Connor was 14, right? Yes, he was 14. Uh, we have three children, Connor, all two years apart, and Connor was our middle. So um, it was the summer of 2012, July, and uh, he had an opportunity to go on a wonderful trip with one of his closest friends, also named Connor, and his friend's father, Pat, who was a pilot, and they uh, took a private plane from Albuquerque to Sedona, had a, an amazingly wonderful vacation for three days doing all sorts of cool nature and guy stuff, and then uh, the plane crashed upon takeoff on the way home on Thursday, July 26, 2012. Wow, so sorry. Yeah, Heidi, you were saying, uh, reminded you a little bit of uh, some of the 9-11, that sudden loss. Yeah, and the reason it did, Sherry, because I I worked with 9-11 families in the fire department for 10 years, Mm -hmm. and what struck me about your story is here you've got your son, his friends, and the father all dying together. So I imagine it was a little bit of a public loss for your community. Is that true? It was no? hugely, yes, hugely a public loss um, in a very strange way because, at, especially at that time, I would never have described myself as public about my grief or mm-hmm. pain. And so, first of all, the uh, both families go to the same private school here in Albuquerque, which mm-hmm. is kind of a wonderful community. Wow. Lots of families at the school have multiple children, so we know each other over time. Um, The boys were both really well-loved. And then on top of it, Pat Porter was an Olympian, as was his wife, Trish Porter. So they lived a public life in a very different way that was quite foreign to us. So in a a moment, (laughs) a moment's notice of, you know, all the other change that came to devastate our lives, our lives did become very public, and there were many, many uh, people who loved all three of them, and both Connor and Connor were three weeks away from starting high school, 
um, the freshman year of high school. So it was just really a huge community loss. And that must be very surreal for you because here it is, the, the, a public loss, but for you it's very private and very personal. And yet, as we saw with the 9-11 families, and I'm sure you saw this, you didn't know when reminders were going to be around. I mean, in the newspaper and then when people would be talking about it and on the radio and all these things. And I'm sure you couldn't control a lot of that either. Oh, absolutely not. In fact, I remember um, because, you know, Pat and Trish were Olympians and the media was in a very different way contacting them. Um, the next morning, there we were asked to do a press conference. And I thought to myself, what? Wow. <laughs> um, I don't you know, I haven't done press conferences, and I certainly couldn't even speak about that. So I did ask a friend, uh, and bless her soul, who was willing to do that at the time and did a very good job. But that's just an example of, yes, it was very public for a long time. There were beautiful things that came from that. In some ways, we were blessed to have lots of support that perhaps other families don't um, receive, and they need just as much. But at the same time, it it meant we were looked at often to help lead others in this grief process when, you know, we were still trying to breathe and walk and, and didn't really want to do either of them. That, that's very, very interesting. I mean, to hear all that. And also that you're, you're constantly under a microscope because people are observing you. And like my mom always says, you know, when she started wanting to take care of herself and go jogging, et cetera, she worried that the neighbors would think, well, she didn't really love her son because she's taking care of herself. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And that is, a, I think, a battle that any bereaved parent, you know, fights. If if people ask you how you are or, or want to know what you're doing and you're doing nothing, then there's sort of this path of, well, you need to pick yourself up and keep going. You have other children. You need to move on. And then if you do as you said, even the jogging, anything healthy for yourself, then then it does help people to think, oh, she's okay, it's okay. And you don't want either of those. It's a very complicated um, a very complicated process, and, and it's more complicated if it's very visible and watched, for sure. Right, and as you said, you were, you were also helping people and leading the way for other people, even though your grief was so profound. People kind of put you yes. in that role. I was wondering what kind of things helped you mm -hmm as you went through your, your grief journey? Well, it's, it's fascinating because, um, you know, I, I remember a word that came up often to describe my process with the community, with others, with grace. And I, I think that's a fair description, but I don't think grace is necessarily within us. I don't think that originates with us. So I have to say, I think um, there was a lot of help from Connor and a lot of wisdom that um, came to me when I needed it. So, you know, being two families at the same school and the same community, um, sometimes there were people who wanted to bring up all the, you know, negatives, lawsuits and investigations and, and that we can't. It was a very difficult position because we had the same loss, but of course it was a different and a different experience for both families. And I, I can't quite say what drove me, but from day one, I just thought Connor would never. Um, he was just too beautiful of a human being. I can't go down that road. So whatever we experienced of those other pieces, which which were necessary investigations, are necessary part of the process, whether we wanted it or not. Um, right. I didn't want any of that public because it just in no way would honor Connor or uh, Connor Porter. So 
I have to say that I think in a lot of ways, um, Connor helped me just by showing me the way and, and helping me find my, you know, my way. I'll also mention I lost a sister very young, so I'm also oh, wow. a bereaved sister. This was back in 1975, so quite some time ago, but also very tragically. Um, and before, I think shortly before the Compassionate Friends was uh, in existence. And that, that, um, that support of a family and siblings and parents was entirely different. So that experience for me was very different. We, you know, you weren't encouraged to talk about it. You weren't encouraged to grieve. You were encouraged to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just move on. And so there was a part of me that knew from moment one, even if I didn't know anything else and I couldn't figure out anything else in, in my crazy world, I just knew I didn't want to do that the same. I wanted mm -hmm. to, I knew that hurt our family and hurt us individually to not be able to speak about it, not be able to mourn about it, not be able to figure out another path. Um, and so, I you know, I, I, I when you're saying that, that I remember you telling me this uh, at the Compassionate Friends Conference, um, you know, what a gift your sister gave you. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking the same thing, Mom. That's what comes up for me. What was her name? Patty. Patty. I'm just thinking what a gift Patty gave you mm -hmm. to understand that yes. you didn't want it to go that way again. Yes, I, I, I agree with that. And in a, in a very odd way what a gift my mother gave me um the gift of compassion because i always had compassion of sorts and and when i was a bereaved sibling i didn't imagine there might be anything worse and then i lost my child mm -hmm. but i did have resources and different perspectives that my mom didn't have so yes i would agree both patty and and my mom gave me gifts that helped me to um, move forward helped me to do this differently, do this path differently, and that's one of the reasons why I feel, um, despite how hard it is sometimes, that it's helpful for me to share my story and share my perspectives, because I started very young. I was nine when I lost my sister, and mm. I've seen two different ways of navigating this journey, and uh, I know which one <laughs> I think is a lot better. <laughs> and I would now, also, tell us what you did. Uh, that's uh, what I was going to say. When you, when you really uh, uh, thought about it, what I, did you want to do differently? I'm sorry, tell us. You mean you mean now? Tell what I did differently. Yeah. Uh huh. What's after ah. Connor died? What What did you? Did you have a turning well, point, or were there certain things you knew? Or and I know you said that uh, you learned to hear the divine. I, I wanted to ask you what that was about, also. Yes, absolutely. I mean, on a personal level, what I noticed was, I I. I sort of had this dual journey, you know, I lost my son and this was a brand new, something I never thought that hap would happen. I mean, I, you know, kind of if we go through one tragedy, if we have cancer, breast cancer, we don't really think we're going to get pancreatic cancer. We kind of think I did that, right? Right, exactly. I was just thinking so that. I, just, I was just thinking that, Sherry, I said, you're not allowed to lose a child after losing a sibling. You're, exactly. That's not allowed to happen. I mean, that's how I feel because I've, I've had a sibling die. You just think, okay, yeah. I've done, I've marked off that box. Statistically, it's not going to happen. Right. That's right. right. Like maybe you need to teach me about cancer, but I yeah. surely are not. I don't need this one. So, yeah. so there was the normal shock and and uh, devastation, and then there was that disbelief. Additionally, not just for me, but really for all my family and friends. People couldn't even speak because it was so crazy. And then on top of it, um, you know, having traveled this road, I. I was lose. I lost my at that one day or one week or one month, but I also knew what it was like to be over 35 years out and losing a sibling. So it was a pretty crazy um, 
experience inside of me all at once um, and definitely too much. <laughs> but um, some of the things that came to me quickly was, uh, you know, I remembered most of the pain. You can't ever stop the tragedy, but, but the tragedies that follow, um, which can be many, you can affect. And so I realized right away that there was no way I was ever going to let Connor's memory um, not live, that I wasn't going to speak about him and that I wasn't going to speak about my grief because grief is natural. And it's, especially in our Western culture, we sometimes really try to hide that, which doesn't do any service to us. Not only does it get stuck inside of us and cause a lot of problems, but it um, teaches other people that grief is not a good thing, that we, we don't want to look at that, that that's messy and, and yucky. So, you know, right away, I could tell people wanted to be compassionate, but didn't always know what to say. So sometimes I just said a few words, and then it opened them up. And that was a very different step. I might have just said, God, I miss my son. Uh, or Connor was so beautiful. And then that allowed them to know, oh, gosh, I can say, you know, I really miss Connor, too. Or, wow, he was such a beautiful kid. He had the best smile or whatever. And so I think that was one step was helping other people to know it was okay to speak. Um, I remember we put a monument up at our school, um, a remembrance, and it actually included some of the other children who had died in the, the previous 20 and 30 years so that no, none of the children were left out. And in, in, it was a long process of trying to figure out what's the right thing that people can remember in a positive way and keep it a part of their life, um, but not be in the center of campus, you know, which would be logical. And in some of the early discussions, there was a lot of talk about sort of putting it way out there um, where people wouldn't even really see it. And I was just really honest in saying, you know, dust doesn't need to be tucked away. We learn so much from it. And it only becomes um, really awful when we stuff it and don't talk about it because then nobody knows what to do with that pain. But if we can keep it alive, there's so many students, parents, staff, um, and teachers at that school who miss those boys dearly. Um, right. I don't even know them all, but they had their mm -hmm. own relationship with these boys. So it made sense, and we finally came to a good compromise of putting it, not in the center, but right where it was part of, of life. And I think that was another different kind of step that isn't usually done and, and was very helpful to people because it's a part of the community, and it's not you know, this quiet thing that nobody wants to talk about. Well, talk about hearing the divine. What do you mean by that? Mm. Well, um, when I lost my sister back in 1975, and this is no judgment, no anything, every, every single parent in every community does the very best they possibly can with a horrendous situation. Um, but just where I was, what our culture was at that time, um, it really we didn't talk a lot about um, what came afterwards, you know, there was a religious sense. Was, was your child baptized, and did that mean they went to heaven? But not, does, do they live on? What was their purpose? Was their purpose wasted here if they died young? Those kinds of really deep questions that everybody cares about but are, are so critical, as you know, to a grieving parent or grieving sibling. They, they are the most important questions that exist. And I, you know, the answer in my culture at that time without organizations like Compassionate Friends was, no, that, that relationship does kind of end. You remember it. It wasn't meant to be. Um, you, you're blessed to have what you have, but it's done. And, and so I never really heard 
my sister in any way or felt her um, that I knew of. I can look back now and understand it differently, but I, if you would have asked me, that was definitely past and present, and there was no, you know, there was no future with my sister or no crossing of those. And a very short time after um, Connor left, I was amazed because I started, you know, having signs, feeling him, perceiving him, and at first, you know, you kind of think you're crazy, and at first you think um, it's just wishful thinking of, of a parent wanting to have her son back. But then um, they became, you know, so obvious or so profound and so many over time that I started to really believe there was something different than I had always known. And um, I would kind of test it out. So, you know, I would, <laughs> I'm a rat, you know, I, I do a lot of left brain. So at the beginning, I would almost try to talk myself out of it and say, well, it could have been this, it could have been this and find all sorts of reasons why it couldn't be, which I'm sure Connor, you know, was laughing at because we had a wonderful relationship and it was very funny. Um, but over time there was just, there were just so many things that were impossible to explain with all the analytical, logical reasoning. So, um, then I sort of switched gears to look at what was I feeling and what was I experiencing at the time those signs came and I could really easily figure out a connection, um, that was a sign or a message that I needed at that time. I love that. I love it because I think people do receive so many signs and they just don't. You know they they're skeptical and uh, yeah mm -hmm. or or they don't look for signs like you said when you were younger. Absolutely. Well, and as a culture, that idea. there are many other yeah. cultures that that's very normal. That it's a very normal perception to understand that um, people are here physically, but they're still here after their physical body leaves. But in the Western culture, we don't do that quite as much. So it was really new to me and really new to many people. Well, I love in, in your uh, bio, and you gave it to us, that you said that tragedy can uh, help us lead more powerful lives filled with meaning and joy. I mean, that is is such an upbeat thought for people. And I know it's hard to hear that early on, and yeah. um, it goes a ways, but um, it, it's great to have people like you who have found meaning and joy again. Yes. And I'll be the first to say, give me my son back and I'll live a less enjoyable life, <laughs> for sure. Right. But, of course, we don't get that choice. And that's one of the, you know, most devastating parts, again, as you know, of losing especially a child because it's your future. It's all of your future. It's the most helpless feeling, I think, on the planet because, you know, other things. I've had other losses, divorce and financial and other things, and, and the reality is, is as difficult as those are, you can always kind of replace those things, but you never, ever can replace a child that you lose or a child replacing their mother or father. So um, finding hope and finding a way through that and some new meaning and joy afterwards is just paramount. It's just paramount. Now, tell us about writing your book and where people can get it, and you've got a website. Sure. Um, I actually didn't. I thought if I ever wrote a book, it was a really a long time out because, you know, the pain was still very great. I wasn't anxious to share it, share my most raw moments. But at the same time, I started to get a lot of signs that it just was um, meant to be. And so at that same time, I came across a friend, uh, came across right at the right moment, a company called The Difference Press and the author Incubator. And it's a, it's a, company that is focused on writing, helping 
people write and publish books that make a difference in the world. So it's not sort of a, you know, how to make a million in real estate, but things that really can make a difference in people's lives. And I had to go through an application process, talk through it, an interview. But after talking with um, Angela Loria, Loria, the director, she knew right away this could help people. So um, I agreed to write the book kind of even before I knew exactly what would be in it. But she was terrific at coaching me and pulling out what the pieces were that would be really helpful to other people versus just cathartic for me. Um, so I wrote this book uh, last uh, June and um, did the editing process over the summer. And then it was published in ebook form on Amazon on September 1st. Uh, so if you go to Amazon.com and type in my name or Life from the Ashes, you can find it easily. Um, and there's free software, even if you're not a Kindle user, there's free software for Mac or PC that, or phone that you can download. So it's real easy to get. And it will come out in print form this year. Um, that takes a little bit longer to get the print form out, and I'm looking forward to that as well. Awesome. That's wonderful. And then people can visit you at your website. You have a blog? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just starting my blog. I have a lot of it, – it's been a, um, a pretty full year, last year and a half for me. I left my – after 25 years in the business world, I left to start my own business, and I've been building different things and, and took my daughters to live in Italy in the fall. Wow. Um, that process of building new life afterwards um, rather than just seeing wasps. So um, my website is in a bit of transition, and my, I have lots of things written for the blog, and I'll just be publishing them over the next few months as I have more time now to sort of accelerate that part. Awesome. Well, it's been so great to talk to you on the show today, and uh, good luck with all that you're doing. And we want to make Thank sure you. people get your book, Life in the Ashes. Oh, I'm sorry, just that last statement, I couldn't hear you. It cut out for a minute. I was just saying uh, people should get your book, Life from the Ashes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Thank you. I Thanks, hope it Sherry. can help as many people as possible. Well, we want to thank everybody for listening to the Open to Hope show. And uh, she's uh, Sherry's inspiring, isn't she, Heidi? Absolutely. And uh, I love uh, that she has transformed her life after loss and found meaning and found hope. It is very inspirational given that she's had a sister die and a child die. There is hope after loss. She's a great example of that. Absolutely. And uh, we want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own and visit us at opentohope.com. And we hope that you'll tell your friends and family and all those people who are in need of finding some hope after loss to visit us at opentohope.com. And thanks for listening to the show, and God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.